Uh, Happy New Year to you. Um, Look to the person next to you and say, this series ain't about resolutions. (laughs) And if you're a grammar teacher, I apologize. I, I was actually pretty good at English. This is not about resolutions, and here's why. I'm going to show you a video in just a second. It seems that that word just represents failure, right? We come into it exhausted. We have spent too much time and too much money, and we've eaten too much, and we've just gone and gone and gone and burned up all of our vacation days, and we hit the new year, and we just want some normalcy. We don't really want to go rushing right into something else, right? Watch this video. This will tell you a little bit about how I feel about resolutions. What are my New Year's resolutions? To lose weight. Giving up caffeine. No smoking cigarettes. Getting a new job. Getting more in track with budget. Maybe be more considerate of others. Take better care of myself. Spend less money. Do a better job taking care of my family. Drink less coffee. Go with the flow, I guess. Probably try to be uh, a better Christian. So every year I usually resolve to make some, but then I don't. Well, I'm so old, I don't make them anymore. I don't even know where the concept came from for making resolutions. This seems kind of pointless. Can't break them if you don't make them. I think it's a new beginning. I think a lot of it helps us to look at centering ourselves again. If you want to change something, you just change it whenever. I mean, putting a date on it, I don't know if that really helps it. Maybe the resolution just sets a direction. Usually New Year's resolutions are probably only thought up in probably about a week. That's about two months, you just kind of give up on them. I've just never never really said any that really meant enough to me. I guess I didn't have the will to finish them. I think mostly it's like you just kind of forget and you have other things to do. It's just something that you know you're never going to achieve and so you say that as your New Year's resolution so you're not obligated to do it. I guess I really haven't had anything which is like important enough to me to like actually stick to it. I think we just get bored easily. You stick to it for about two weeks and then life happens. That sound about right. Even that video is like a resolution. It starts out strong with noble things, and then as it goes on, it's like, I'm too old to do that, and I'd never keep them up anyway, you know. And even among the Christians, it's like, you know, January, we go on a diet, join a gym, and read several days of the one-year Bible, right, for the, for the whole month. So we're talking about goals in this series, and we're talking about God-driven goals. Not me exhausted at the start of a year, just, you know, ready to do different from what I did for six weeks. But this is about this series and this day has gripped my heart, and I hope it will grip yours as well, to say, God, what do you want? What do you want from me? What are the goals that you would have me have moving forward? Not just for 2019, not just to fizzle out in February, but what are these goals that you would like for me to set? Let's pray as we start. Lord, I come to you today with a burden, and uh, I ask you to give us as a church just a fresh anointing and fresh direction, a fresh calling and fresh passion for 2019. And I ask you to bless this sermon, draw all of our hearts so we, we can all grow in you and help us to open our hearts and our minds to that. In Christ's name we pray today. You know, even as Paul at the end of his ministry, he was sitting in a Roman prison, just, just in filth. And for, there was no reason for him to have hashtag 
blessed, you know. There was no reason for him to feel joy. He had every reason to feel anything but that. But in that moment, he never lost his passion, never lost his mission, his focus on direction, and his command of the situation. Because he wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3, No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Even Paul in that moment, he had fought the good fight. He had finished his course. He had kept the pace. But even he is saying, I can be closer. I can do more. And that's the challenge I want to give us today. I'm going to ask you to, there are like eight different ways that, that we find in studying that people learn. And some people love this way, some people love that way. I think we're going to hit like five or six of them today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in just a second. And I'm not going to try to like hypnotize you because I would have done that for the offering if we were going to do something like that. (laughs) But go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to imagine the one or two things that you would like to make different about your life in the future. What are those things you would like to see different in your life in the future? This sermon is called Preferred Future. What goals would you like to set for the future? What do you believe God, more importantly, would have you do differently in the future? What is his preferred future for you? What's that one or two things that popped into your mind? Now you can open your eyes. I didn't want you looking at your spouse to say, you know, you're my problem. So I just close our eyes. Here's the tough question. And this is not, you know, I wish this could have been just a a fluffy, happy, rainbows and unicorns first Sunday sermon. But my heart has been gripped for us as a church. And so this is, we're going to ask some tough questions. And we will unpack that over the next weeks in this series. But today is going to be probably more questions than answers. Here's the question I have for you. If what came to your mind has been something that you've either longed for for a long time or you have run from for a long time, what's your excuse to not take it on? And I don't mean that harshly. I mean that with all the love and the passion for you and for our church that I can have. If it's something you've known a long time that you've longed for or you have run from, what's your excuse? What if God appeared before you right now today with the call? What would your answer be? I want us to look at four different uh, examples of absolute heroes in the Bible. These are people who ultimately did marvelous things and were extremely obedient. But God appeared to them differently, and their response was different. And, and as we go through these, kind of see which one rings true maybe in your heart or some of these excuses that were given that uh, may seem uh, uncomfortably familiar to you. First, let's look at Moses. We find that Moses gave five excuses to God in front of the burning bush. If you remember the story, Moses was saved as a baby. Uh, Pharaoh had come through to kill all the male Hebrew children, the, the babies, the male babies. And Moses was able to escape because his mom put him in a basket 
and floated him down the river. And it ended up that Pharaoh's daughter found this baby and raised him inside Pharaoh's uh, kingdom. And he was raised in opulence. And later in his life, when he grew up, he witnessed one of the Egyptians beating one of the Hebrew slaves. And it infuriated him. And he killed that Egyptian. And then some folks saw it. And then he had to haul it. So he ran to hide. He was out in the desert. And in that desert, he found just a new life. And he was tending his father-in-law's flock one day. And this bush started burning. And it was not consumed. It just kept burning. And he heard God's voice. There's no doubt he heard God's voice. And God said to him, Moses, I'm calling you to rescue my people, to help set my people free. Go back to Pharaoh. And here's the first excuse that Moses asked. He knows he's talking to God. He's in the presence of God. His first question is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? That's a fair question, right? He struggled with insecurity. That's the first thing. Do you struggle with insecurity sometimes? I know I do. He just didn't feel like he was qualified. In fact, he knew in his mind he was disqualified. Here's a man who was a murderer who had escaped and was was hiding, and he felt disqualified. But God's response was, doesn't matter who you are. I have this. I am with you in this. Excuse number two, Moses asked in the third chapter of 13th and 14th verses, well, who are you? Suppose I go to and tell them that the Israelites that I'm supposed to save them and the God that made you, the God that of your fathers has sent me to do this. What do I even tell them your name is? How do I represent you? And by the way, I'm kind of hiding from those folks. Very practical, right? But in this moment, we find that he didn't even know God well enough. He said, how do I represent you? And then I love this in all caps. It is I am, you have a lot of verb you could put on this, I am who I am. (laughs) God said, I am with you. I'm everything you need. And I think that's what God says to us today. The third thing Moses said, his excuse was, what if they don't listen to me? He was intimidated by the whole thing. Here's one for you. What will people think? I'm glad we don't feel that way, right? I'm glad we have victory over that. No, he felt the same emotion that we would feel. What will people think? I'll be so intimidated. I'll be so embarrassed if they don't listen. What will people think? But then God said, when I'm finished, they'll be listening to you. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing this, by the way. This is the the Malden version of the Bible. Uh, Excuse number four, Moses said, but I've never really been a good speaker. You know, we believe that he was a stutterer, and, and he was like, I, I just can't do this. Uh, I don't have the skills. I'm inadequate. He felt inadequate in this excuse. And God said, well, who made your mouth? I made your mouth. I'll give you the words to say. And then his final excuse, Moses says, I know you can call someone else. And that's the easiest thing we do, Right? God calls us to do something, and we say, uh, mm, i got a thing. Better not. Get somebody else, right? God said, okay, I'll let Aaron go with you. I'll let your brother. He was comparing himself to everybody else, and I'm going to hit that pretty hard later on in the sermon. 
this this comparison, uh, I believe it's epidemic in our world today, this defeat by comparison. But he had compared himself to others, saying, anybody but me, Lord. But God said, it's still you I'm calling. You are the one that I have chosen. Then there's Jeremiah. I love the story of Jeremiah. Um, And I'll talk about in just a second. If you only get bits and pieces of Jeremiah, the scripture I'm about to read, and then Jeremiah 29, 11, you might think that he just had a really happy life. And it was all, all good stuff for him. But it was actually the opposite for him. Look at this scripture, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. What if God said this to you? The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before you were born, I had this plan in place. And what's his response? Uh, Lost sovereign Lord, uh, I don't know how to speak and I'm too young to do this. That's a natural response, right? But then God goes on. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. He wants us to stop saying, but Lord, I'm too dot, dot, dot. He really wants us to do that, I believe. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, Jeremiah's life was hard from there. He accepted that call. But over 40 years, he tried to proclaim over 100 times for his people to repent. Did they listen to him? No, they found also prophets who would tell them what they wanted to hear. And they listened to all the false prophets instead of him. He was unpopular. He was ignored. He was persecuted, even kidnapped. But through his obedience, he did what God had called him to do. It wasn't a happy life, but he did what God had called him to do. And I would just challenge us. Jeremiah 29.11 is, is very much a pop culture scripture but it was for a specific time for a nation and let's not selfishly turn that into God wants to prosper whatever I decided I wanted to do I could spend too long on that but I won't do it Um, and let's not take bad choices we made as the plan God had for me you know there are consequences we need to follow God's heart and follow his will and just be careful when we try to turn God's word, a verse, into what applies to us at the time. That's a wonderful scripture, and I'm thankful that so many people know it. But let's just be careful not to abuse it. Then Nehemiah. This is one I connect with. Well, I feel like God has called me in this season uh, to be a Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1, 4 through 10. He had heard from some friends who came, a brother and some friends. And he asked, not about family, not about sports teams, not about anything. It was, tell me about the remnant of the Jews. And he found out that they were horribly distressed. And he didn't hear this directly from God, but there was this response, this burden, this call from God 
to go and repair the city walls in Jerusalem. And this is his prayer. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we uh, uh, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants and to be the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This man was the king of Persia. The job that Nehemiah had was a really good job for that time. He was worked in the palace as the cupbearer. And as long as the wine wasn't poisoned, he had a really good job. And it was, it was an opportunity that he had to be very content. And the thing about it, too, is that he had caught a vision instantly to write something that had been for 130 years plus that the walls had been destroyed and were in rubble. But in that moment, and this is key, with fresh eyes, God gave him the ability to have this passion and this confidence that through God, he could do this thing. And that's what I want us to have today. I want us to be able to look as he did with fresh eyes. It may be something that's been the way it is for a long time. But this day, at the start of this year, at the beginning of this series, let's pray that God will give us fresh eyes to see. And then the last one that I want to look at is David. Now, he had a very unique skill set. I don't think anybody in this story would have thought that it would turn out the way that it did. If you know the story, Goliath had taunted Saul's army for 30 to 40 days. Every day he would come out and he would just speak ridicule against them and against their God. And he challenged them to bring one man. Bring one, we'll have a fight to the finish, winner take all. And here comes little David. He's a courier. He's just a teenage boy. And he comes up, and in that moment, he sees what nobody else has been able to see. I don't think Saul's army was a bunch of cowards. I think they just could not fathom it in their own mindset of how they could do this. Here's a man that's so much bigger, so much stronger, so much able as a warrior. They didn't see in their skill set how they could do this. But God gave David this call. 
He says in 1 Samuel 17, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Here's a a teenage boy. Saul replied, "Uh, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. This is flipped from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was like, I'm too young. And now David's like, I got this. But Saul is like, no, you're too young, pal. But he did not listen to the criticism or or even the protection that Saul was trying to give. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And then Saul said, okay, (laughs) I'll be over here. (laughs) Go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his tunic. This is key. Because still Saul was having to see this with the eyes that Saul could comprehend. So here's this little boy, and Saul takes all his heavy armor and straps it on this kid, and, and David's like, I can't do this. He put the coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. He was uniquely prepared by God. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He knew that God had equipped him with a special skill set. And a lot of times we try to compare, compare, compare ourselves to, well, I don't look like this. I don't have these skills. I just can't, Lord. But we need to be open in our minds and our hearts that God has made each one of us unique. He doesn't want us to compare ourselves to others. All four of these men were great in what God called them to do. They are heroes of our faith and of the Bible. So let's get back to us now. I'm going to ask you one more time. So therefore, what is the excuse for not pursuing this preferred future? If you know there's something that you either need to do personally or if you know there's something that God has drawn you to, what is your excuse? What if we said yes? What if today and what if this month we said yes and said, okay, Lord, I'll take it on. I'll do this. What do we need to do? And I've got four points that I want to talk with you about. These are the four things that that clarify the vision and help us find that preferred future. First of all, we ask this question, who am I? Because if we don't know that, we're lost from the beginning. And that's where it gets down to this concept also of comparing ourselves. You know, social media and just the world we have today, uh, it is all about 
comparisons. You know, if, if I post something and get 73 likes and then somebody shares my post and they get 100, we're just appalled. It's like, no, that's not right. <laughs> I brought actually a, a little object lesson here about comparison. There was a man named Robert Bucci in 1923. He patented this thing. Can you see what it is? Yeah. I'm just a real nerd for cool stuff like this. I love this. I didn't have one of these growing up. We just had to eat an apple <laughs> and risk maybe cutting our finger with it. But he got the patent on this thing. And it slices apples. That's, that's why they call it the apple slicer, you know. I'm going to have to put this down because I'm going to slice this apple. All right. <laughs> well, all righty then. You want some apple? Have some. We'll pass it down. It's an apple slicer. Do you know what it just did? It sliced an apple. And it's a good apple. Kroger had said it was red delicious, and I didn't know how they could possibly back that up. I could see that it was red, but they could not prove that it was going to be delicious, but it really was. <laughs> so here he is. Let's say he's invented this, or he's at least gotten the patent on it, and money's rolling in because every time somebody buys one, he and his family, that is a tart apple, he and his family get some royalties from this. But one day in 1923, he decides he wants some nachos. I can't prove that. But he's like, this is awesome for slicing apples, but it is awful for grating cheese. And then he finds one of these, and he's really intimidated. And then he finds out that Francois Bouillet, in 1540, in France, invented this thing, a cheese grater. And it came from a necessity because their cheese was just so hard they couldn't find ways to, to be able to use it. So he invented this thing. But should this guy be intimidated because what he invented is not this? They're different, right? And they're equal, right? No, actually, this is a little greater. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> or it will feel that way at least. I actually got that from Francis Chan, and he did a little bit better. See, I even compared myself to Francis Chan. In this we had some fun with that. But the point is, that just seems senseless, right? It seems silly that, that one would compare to the other because God has made every one of us with a specific skill set. He has a specific calling. I've been in the music business in this town for, for over 30 years, and I had to learn quickly. If I was going to compare my talents to somebody else, I would just never do anything because there are just brilliant, brilliant people. But God has called me not to be a copy of you or you or you, but he has called me to be me, and he has called you to be you. So the first thing we have to identify if we're going to make this preferred change for the future is our identity. And you know, it's not only who am I, but it's whose am I. Let's look at this scripture together. Colossians 3, 
Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We are a new creature. Our identity is through him. And this is also epidemic. Parents, you've got to guard your children. And children, young people, you have to guard your heart. Because we live in a postmodern, post-Christian culture that says anything goes. If I'm a Christian and I claim that I have these absolutes, these, these foundational beliefs and these principles, the culture will say, congratulations, but that's not necessarily mine. And we have to make sure that, that the enemy doesn't kind of lead us astray, you know, where we're, we're following Christian principles, but boy, there's this kind of Buddhist thing that, that was really a nice thing that they said. And so we start letting heresy to creep in. We can't do this. We have to protect ourselves. So the first point, know who and whose we are. Secondly, where am I? If you're going to start on a journey and your GPS, you enter the wrong town you're starting on, it's going to be worthless to you. We need to make a clear assessment of our starting point. Now, this should be attainable, it should be reasonable, and it should be from God. We need to check our motives to make sure that our motives are from God and make sure that they are reasonable. I was pretty good at basketball in high school, but my dreams for the NBA are just about shot. I'm not going to play pro basketball. So that's not something that I'm going to lean into. There's a British philosopher, Austin Powers, that said, that train has sailed, baby. (laughs) And that's where I am on that. So we've got to be reasonable, but we've got to be moving forward. Ask yourself these questions. Let's say you're going to take on this preferred future. You're going to go all in. What do you need to do? This assessment is possibly the most important part of this. Do you need more education? Do you need more discipline? Do you need to prioritize some things to make room for this calling? Are you too controlling to let God? Do you need to let go of that? Are you overcommitted to where there's no way you could take on this new thing that God's given you because you're just booked solid? You may have to release some things to do what he's called you to do. And then these are opposites, but they are the same. Are you wandering aimlessly or are you so stuck in a rut that you just can't move at all? You're paralyzed. Either one of those is not where God wants us to be. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should be realistic. We should hear God's heart, but just know every step of the way. He wants us to flourish in this season. He doesn't want us to fail. There's no scenario where God's calling you to fail. He wants us to flourish. The third thing. Where do I want to be? Now, this is the vision. This is the right brain part. This is that preferred future. Where do I want to be? Where does God want to lead you? First of all, for positive change, 
You've just got to let go. You've got to trust. You've got to want what God has new for you more than you want to cling to what you had. You've got to stop holding on and clinging to those things that have held you back. You've got to decide it's time. And I'm not saying today, I'm saying this series, this month. Are you willing to say, Lord, it is time? Steve Spurrier, the old ball coach, if you follow college college football, a few years ago, he quit as the coach of the University of South Carolina before the last game. And people, practical people and, and, and fair people were like, why didn't you just finish out the season and do the right thing for your team and for the university? And he said, you know, I just learned a long time ago that if something needs to happen, why not do it now? And that stuck with me. So I say that to all of us today. Why not do it now? Because if we don't, something that is unresolved, this tension that we have, it gets bigger the longer we wait, right? And it goes from unresolved to seeming in our minds unresolvable. So if it needs to happen, if it's something God's giving you to do, why not start it now? Vision calls us what leadership teaching shows us is there's a healthy tension. That space between where I am and where I want to be is a healthy tension. And in that comes momentum. It comes energy. uh, It becomes a drive. It propels us to that. And we have to be able to draw that into our own mind. Let that tension of where you are is not where you want to be. And where you want to be is the goal. Let that tension drive you. And then the fourth thing, we're going to go from the right brain to the left brain. And if you haven't taken any of our studies that let you know where you are, believe me, if you're a a right brain creative visionary, you had better hang out with some management people that are going to help you get along the task. Because if you have a dream and a vision and passion for it and you don't have action steps, then I'm afraid you're not going to make it. The fourth thing, how do I get there? That's the plan. First, we have to recenter and focus for this new direction. You have to ask yourself today and in this series, how badly do I want this, Lord? How much do I want to obey you? How much do I want to see this change and this preferred future, this calling that you have for me? We have to start thinking, flip it over from solutions to solutions from the problems. I don't think David was thinking about some of the problems he had coming. He had to have that solution because this man was ridiculing his God and he wasn't going to have it. So think more solutions, not problems. And some of us are going to choose. And this is a, this is a hard, hard question that I'm asking us to ponder today and for this series. But I really believe in my heart that this is a time for us as individuals and as Seeds Church, to go to that next level, to push forward. I think there are some things that God wants us corporately to do and individually. So you're going to have to choose. You're going to choose faith or fear. Are you going to choose taking heart or losing heart? Is this your breaking down 
or your breaking dawn? And will you run to or from God's new direction in your life? We all have to ponder these things together. And if you're willing to do this, these are the things we need to do together. And, and we can walk through it together. Uh, we're talking about some ways that we can even do this in the spring. First of all, you've got to focus clearly on that vision. And you'll find if you can see it in technicolor, if you can see that vision and grasp it and keep your eyes focused on it, then it will become clear to you the things in your life that are helping you get there and the things in life that are keeping you from get, getting there. So the first thing, we want to visualize the big picture goals. And then break it down into smaller steps than you might even think you need to. That's a great measuring device. We need to, to measure as we go. So break the task down into steps, even smaller than you think you should, and that way you have more reasons to celebrate, more ability to feel like you are making progress. And then surround yourself with reminders of this goal every day. Because you know as well as I do, the busyness of life and, and the enemy wants to knock you off course, wants to distract you, wants to have you spend all day long as fast as you can go. I've been there. And you get to the end of the day and you realize you're exhausted and you didn't accomplish anything you anticipated or you wanted to because you just had things, fires to put out, things to spring up. So we need to surround ourselves with reminders of that goal. And then there's this acronym. If, if you've had um, some studies on this, it's called SMART, S-M-A-R-T. Uh, you may have heard of this. It is specific. That means the focus. It's measurable. It needs to be trackable. And some things aren't just measurable in, like in church work. We don't just measure how many people and how much money. It's like, are you affecting your community? Are you discipling? Are you growing Christians and growing together? And then achievable. We want to have realistic expectations. And then relevant. It needs to make a difference. Otherwise, why spend your time on it? And then time-based. That is our discipline. That's our step-by-step. Our -step. If you don't put time on it, we all know what will happen. It won't happen. And then schedule consistent check-ins. Be accountable. If that's family, sometimes you know who it can't be as well as you know who it needs to be. But make it accountable. Make sure that you are finding someone that uh, you can answer to, that you can check in with and say, yeah, I'm still on task. We're still doing this thing. And celebrate those small wins. That's the big thing. So if you're going to do, take this on, if we're willing to do this, and, and the things that you have on your heart that, that I believe you thought of, it may be personal. I have some personal goals I would like to improve on. Or it may be God-driven and a God-calling. He may be asking you to do something that you think is impossible or that you're just not, Lord. But consider that today. Align your goals with your values. Now, that's been a lot, and, and this will be unpacked over the whole month. I've asked a lot of questions, a lot of hard questions. I've asked us to, to dig really deep and consider uh, the changes that we need to make for ourselves and for the kingdom. 
And I want us to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask the, the singers to come back, the band and, and our prayer team to come over on this side. Uh, I'm going to ask you to let's stand together. We've been a church for at least a year and a half. been having services for a little over a year. And so much of it just feels like family. But, but this space that we're in is quite limiting. So if you would, they're going to sing, Here's My Heart, Lord, again. I'm going to ask you just to come forward as far as you will and as much as you will. I would love to see us all just kind of gather as close as you will if you're comfortable doing that. And let's spend some time. Encourage each other. Pray for each other. In groups of two and three, let's just come, come forward, fill up the sides, and as a family, let's commit our hearts to 2019 you know Nehemiah's heart was gripped and he ached for that restoration of his people and God made a way for that to happen and David's heart was broken he was offended that this Goliath would ridicule the almighty God and God made a way using David sometimes God calls the equipped and sometimes in my case he equips the called I had to just jump in, and over the last four years, God has helped me to catch up with the equipping. Will you allow God to grip your heart today to see with fresh eyes and a new vision? Let's sing together.